Welcome everybody to podcast today for October 5th, 2016. Today, finally, we have reached the end of our run-through of Harry Potter films. It is over. We have watched all of the Harry Potter films, and I have talked about them all, and some of them are better than others, and some of them are really bad. And what's the name of this film? Deathly Hallows Part 2. Released in 2011, it is the the big finale, the, the kind of big climax of all that Harry Potter was building toward. It made $1.3 billion, by the way. This film made an absurd amount of money. This was the most profitable film of the Harry Potter films. Fair enough, it it cost $250 million to make, but that was shared with part one, so it only cost about, I assume, I'm, I'm going to split them equally and say 125 but one probably cost more than the other. I would assume this probably cost more than the first, because the first is a relatively low-key film where it's there's not a lot happening. This is the one where it's just like, magic fighting, let's go, Expelliarmus, and they throw everything at the wall and this is like the, the, the big climax everything comes to a head in Hogwarts and everyone's fighting and everyone wants to kill each other and some of it is silly and I, th- I think some of the plot payoffs are a little contrived and could have been set up throughout other films but I really like this film like this is the first film where the, the world just comes alive and everyone's just like and everyone's like the, the war that we've been teasing since Goblet of Fire is actually here because it kind of fades into the background and everyone's operating in the shadows but now it's just like front and center people trying to murder each other in Hogwarts we do have the the brief prologue where they're breaking into Gringotts and once again they use Polyjuice Potion, which I think Polyjuice was a bit of a crutch in this series. It's just like, uh, we need we need we need something to, to make this work so they can break into Gringotts. Polyjuice, yeah, that'll work. Solves all of our problems. And you know that whole thing is, is it felt like it would have been actually a better climax for the last film than this one, but this film isn't particularly long in its own right, so it's not like it caught, well, it's, it's two hours, ten minutes, which, you know, for, for big films that end series is is probably relatively modest, as opposed to, like, these big, long, never-ending, seemingly films. But yeah, that, that whole sequence felt like it might have worked a little better in the previous film. But nonetheless, we, then we go straight to Hogwarts and everyone wants to kill each other. Though, once, once Harry returns to Hogwarts, by the way, they, they, they do this again, where McGonagall just kicks Slytherin out. Every single one of them. You're all bad guys. All of you. It's like, no wonder they turn into such horrible human beings, considering it's like, we're just going to treat you all as just horrible people. You're the worst. You're the, the, the dregs of society. You do not deserve to be here in Hogwarts. Dumbledore would be ashamed. He is rolling in his grave that you're even standing here. All of you out. No wonder they feel victimized and turned to Voldemort. That's how you treat them. Slytherin are the real the, the, the real victims of the Harry Potter series. Also, like they bring the Chamber of Secrets back in this, and I think they do a relatively good job trying to tie some of those, those arcs together. But I was thinking, like... What is the Chamber of Secrets? I know it was built by like Sly- Salazar Slytherin back in the day, but that is extraordinarily elaborate. How did he build it in secret? How did nobody notice? How was no one like, um, that's a giant dungeon underneath the, the school. What are you doing? <laughs> Maybe they did. Maybe he killed everyone. I don't know. This is also the film where we finally get the, the, the resolution of the Snape arc, where it's just like, ah, he, he, he actually loves Harry. He, he, he wants to protect him because Harry reminds him of his his, his long lost love and, and he wants to do everything he can. Though this film, and it's a thing in the book as well, but it's kind of dismissed. This film heavily suggests that Snape is his dad. This film lays that one on pretty thick and it's just like, okay. I, th- I actually think that's a, a more interesting approach. It also kind of humanizes Lily that she cheated on James Potter and Harry is actually the the son of Snape, and I think that kind of makes a little more sense, but it doesn't make sense. They dismiss it in the book, all right. But in this film, it's just like, if you came out of this film not thinking Harry is actually Snape's son, I'd actually be pretty surprised, because that's that's something they really do go, this might be a thing. Pay attention. Though they also, like, 
heavily suggested that Dumbledore was just kind of using Harry, which, I don't know, felt out of Dumbledore's character. Maybe it was just, I don't, I, I don't know. Dumbledore is a weird character at times because it never feels like they have a, a clearly defined vision for who he is. He, he's this, this, like, loving and caring, wise old man at times, and then there's this selfish and greedy. I suppose that's human. People are different things at different times. But it, it just felt like they kind of flip-flopped a little. This film, like, brought back pretty much everybody. Everybody is in this film. Like, John Hurt is brought back for a cameo. Most, most of the kind of the, the major characters throughout the series that aren't dead yet are brought back for the big finale in Hogwarts. And, like, the, the scene where they're, like, setting up Hogwarts for war and McGonagall is bringing these statues to life and they're setting up, like, shields and stuff. That's cool. It's just like, yeah, look at these people setting up for war. I, I do ask myself the question, is, like, should Harry have actually died? This, this, this is where I talk about brave choices... If, if you listen to the Hunger Games episode a few days ago, I talked about brave choices versus choices that render everything else redundant. I feel like Harry actually dying would have been a brave choice because I, I don't think that renders everything redundant. I think that makes Harry even more of a hero. That, that you know, he in the end, he sacrificed himself for the, the, the greater cause, for the greater good. And, and like, I was talking about Dumbledore a second ago, I suppose the, the idea is Dumbledore basically sets Harry up to be able to die and live. That, that Dumbledore knew Harry was probably a Horcrux, but even in death, Dumbledore set in motion the plan for Harry to live through being killed by Voldemort and get rid of the Horcrux, and also come back to life with the whole Resurrection Stone thing and all the the Invisibility Cloak and Elder Wand and all that stuff. The, the, the whole Elder Wand thing is a little, like, confusing as well. It's like, oh, I, I could use it because you killed Draco, or I disarmed Draco who killed... who just... See, I'm getting I'm getting it mixed up in my head because it's Harry disarmed Draco who disarmed Dumbledore, but Snape killed Dumbledore, and there's a whole thing. The Elder Wand basically just responds to who disarmed who. That seems like a very flighty wand. Doesn't have very much loyalty, does it? And um, we did we did have Draco being redeemed somewhat, where he kind of stands up to Voldemort a little and stands up to the Slytherin. But then I I really felt like it undercut that when he walked back to his family. He, like it, it would have been a moment for him to stand with everyone at Hogwarts instead of slowly skulk across the courtyard back to his family. I get his family were kind of abandoning Voldemort at that stage as well, but it would have felt like a really redeeming character moment for him to just stand there and say, no, I have learned the error of my ways and these people are fighting for what is just, and you are not. But nonetheless, and then we skip to the 19 years later scene, which is kind of weird. They don't really look that much older. They certainly don't look 19 years older. And then we fall back in the John Williams score because of course we do. Because like, well, what would this series be without that John Williams score? There was a new Fantastic Beasts trailer that dropped yesterday that had a remix of that John Williams score. It is iconic. It defined the series. And even when it was remixed and remade, I think this this film actually has a very good score in its own right. The music was by Alexander Desplat, so who is, is the kind of golden boy of Hollywood music at the moment. But that, that John Williams score is iconic. That is the... The, the, the thing people associate with these Harry Potter films, at least for me, in an audio perspective. And that is the Harry Potter films. I like this film. I think this film is great. I think this film is just, like, it's, it's the most leading, because most Harry Potter films are kind of mystery films. They're kind of mystery thrillers more than anything else. There's, like, a mystery that has to be solved at the center of all of them. Whereas this one is more of just, like, a flat-out action film. I think it works. I think it works for what this film is supposed to be as the big climax of this series. You can listen to new episodes of podcasts today every single day at soundcloud.com forward slash TWSKK. You can subscribe on iTunes by searching for the TWS network. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Follow me on Twitter at Garrett or E-T-T-K-I-D-N-E-Y. Thanks for listening and bye bye.